Scripture reading this morning is from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, chapter 22. Proverbs 22, and we read uh, the first six verses. Proverbs 22, verses 1 through 6. Listen, this is God's Word. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, if you are visiting with us today, welcome We are in the middle, actually toward the end of a sermon series where we have been looking at Bible verses often misunderstood and therefore misapplied. And I've been calling this series, You Keep Using That Verse, I Do Not Think It Means What You Think It Means. And this is a true story. When I was a little boy... Several times a year, for eight straight years, I would faithfully and fearfully take home to my parents my report card from my Christian elementary school. And right there, printed on the front cover of my report card, was Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. No pressure. (laughs) But I would wager every Christian parent here who's ever heard this verse has shuddered just a little. Because you can read all the parenting books and parenting blogs and still not be prepared for that awesome responsibility that hits you as you take that baby home from the hospital and realize she's yours for the rest of her life and that somehow your parenting of that child through all the stages of her development over the next 18 or 20 years or however long will significantly shape the way she lives, will significantly impact the rest of her life that you are going to be the greatest influencer in her life, including the way she relates to the Lord. But what if Proverbs 22.6 doesn't mean quite what we think it means? Well, this morning we're going to take a closer look at this verse and we're going to unpack, first of all, what we think it means the way it's commonly understood. And then, if I could be so bold, I want to take us into what I think it really does mean. 
And then finally, we'll ask ourselves, well, why does this matter? Here's what we think it means. Train up a child in the way he, is, uh, way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And most people take that as a kind of ironclad, guaranteed or your money back kind of promise from the Lord. And it goes something like this, and I think you can track this pretty easily. If you raise and train your child according to the Bible, he will turn out to be a God-loving, Christ-following, spirit-filled, fruitful, faithful, responsible, productive member of society and the church. And of course, in this uh, interpretation or this view of the verse, the inverse is also held to be true. That is, if your child grows up to be a God-loving, Christ-following, spirit-filled, faithful, fruitful, responsible, productive adult member of the church and society, it must be because you've trained him right. Either way, you're filled with some sense of pride and accomplishment and probably a tinge of relief. After all you've done, you've followed this formula, and none of you would say you've done it perfectly or faithfully in every way, but something good came out the other side. Good things went in, and a great thing came out, this child of yours who is now an adult walking with Jesus. Well, of course, if you hold that this is an ironclad, guaranteed or your money back kind of promise, the opposite also obtains. Though it'll usually be other Christians who will be quicker to verbalize that than you might yourselves. Suppose your child grows up, becomes an adult, and rejects the Lord. She wants nothing to do with Jesus or the worship of Jesus. She has no interest in reading God's word, has no interest in worshiping with God's people, repudiates everything you've ever taught her. Therefore, you conclude, or again, others will more likely conclude for you and of you, you must have been a bad parent. Your child's failure to embrace Christ is a direct consequence, straight line from your poor parenting. Either way, uh, parents then are either filled with great pride and satisfaction in a job well done as they watch their adult children uh, walking with the Lord, or they're filled with tremendous guilt and shame and disappointment and embarrassment when those children are not walking with the Lord. And they're filled with shame and guilt and disappointment, not simply because all of their friends tell such great stories about how tremendously wonderful their children are, but because of this unspoken, sometimes spoken assumption, you have failed as a parent by not laying hold of this simple but powerful promise and guaranteed promise of God, do this and your child will turn out well. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Simple as that. 
That's how it's often understood. Well, let me uh, walk you through what will probably help us provide a bit of correction. First of all, there are a number of translational issues in this verse that you're going to have to probably trust me on at some point, unless you are tracking along in Hebrew, and this is that moment where you get to say our pastor is so smart, he knows Hebrew. Well, actually, I'm depending on a lot of other good people who've done a lot of heavy lifting here. But there are a number of translational issues. The first, notice the word child. Train up a child. There are places in the Old Testament where that Hebrew word translated here as child means a very young child. But more often, it is translated as young man. Or as some would put it, perhaps in our culture, adolescent or even teen. Not a biblical term, but one we use. Let me just give you two examples, or I could multiply. There are many of them. The word is used in Exodus thirty-three eleven to describe Joshua, assistant to Moses, and in our English version, he's identified there as a young man. But perhaps uh, the best example is in Genesis thirty-seven two. This word is used to describe Joseph, and we're told Joseph. We're actually told there he is seventeen years old, and he's. Given this, he's spoken of as this child or really young man. So the word here should at least include for us a stretch of time to include our teens and our adolescents. And the Old Testament scholar Bruce Walke points out the emphasis, of course, in the book of Proverbs in describing that young man or the adolescent is that he is often the fool who disgraces his parents. So whether you take this as a young child or an adolescent or a teen or a young adult or a young man, however you understand that word, you start to recognize, as every parent does, that that cherubic, angelic little baby you take home from the hospital quickly discovers and seeks to exert his will. What does he want? Or what does she want? Food. Comfort. And of course, as your child gets older, that sweet, cherubic, angelic child begins to discover all kinds of other ways of exerting and expressing their will and their desires. So this child here, let's not limit this to a young baby or young child, But then hang on to that for a second because the second textual issue follows closely. The phrase, in the way he should go, is also a significant over-translation, adds a component to the text that simply isn't there in the Hebrew. Stay with me for a second. But to say we are to train up a child in the way he should go introduces that sense, of course, of oughtness. Again, that's not in the Hebrew. For you grammarians, for two of you out there, our English translation makes this gerundive, denoting something that should or must be done. But again, you can get the sense of this, even in your average English use. Training up the child in the way he should go has that implication. This is something they ought to do. 
This is the right way. It's a positive command to train up a child in a positive way. But a better translation, one that recognizes the way he should go, is added to the text. A better translation would be this. In his own way. Train up a child in his own way. Which makes you ask, especially in the book of Proverbs, and now understanding that this term child embraces everything up to a a young man, what is his own way most likely to be like? And again, I know you uh, teenagers don't always like to hear this. I know you're listening, but the book of Proverbs has a great deal to say about you and people like you. And so much of it comes in the form of a warning. You see, the youth of Proverbs, by the way, not unlike the youth of today, the youth of Proverbs so often lack wisdom. And it's partly a function of being a youth. That is, lacking life experience. Lacking a depth of understanding of God's word and how to apply that in all the complexities of life that come with life experience. The warning of Proverbs, of course, is that, uh, that folly is sometimes a path deliberately chosen. Sometimes wisdom is not sought. So again, the underlying assumption here is that children will awaken and discover, as they do at a very, very early age, but as comes to its full flowering and expression in adolescence, being in their youth, they will come to discover new desires awakened. They will explore the boundaries of acceptable behavior. They will test and challenge the authorities God has placed over them. They will what? They will want to go their own way. And Proverbs 22.6 anticipates that. So the phrase train up a young man or a, uh, train up a young man in his own way is more likely to have in view a way marked and defined by youthful sinful inclinations. Those youthful sinful inclinations with which we were all born. So please, as adults, don't imagine that these teens of ours have a unique problem or that we weren't there. So again, back to 22.6, it's not the way they should go, but rather the way they want to go and actually do go without restraint. Which again makes this a warning, not an unmitigated blessing. Because the following phrase of the verse, train up a child in his own way or the way he wants to go, comes with this, even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. You see, the twist. One commentator puts it this way, he would translate it this way, let a boy do what he wants, and he'll grow up to be a self-willed adult incapable of change. Or another, don't spoil your adolescent or encourage them in pursuing their own way through life as they would have it because the likelihood is high 
they will turn out to become self-seeking, self-serving, self-indulgent adults. And yet another. If you quit the hard work of loving discipline and just give in and let your child have his own way, you will reinforce his sinful proclivities to such a degree that apart from supernatural intervention, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So now you see, it's actually a warning. So what do we do with this? What if that upends everything I ever thought about this verse? Well, please remember that everything I've been saying through this series is that all of the Bible verses we have been looking at, often misunderstood, therefore misapplied, are often misunderstood and therefore misapplied because they're ripped out of their contexts. And the immediate context of Proverbs 22.6 doesn't help us, or maybe it does, because it points out to us that these are Proverbs, not promises. These are Proverbs intended to be pondered, to be mulled over for all your life. So a child can read this and draw some conclusions from it, as can parents. Proverbs are intended to help us gain wisdom. To describe the, they describe the pursuit of wisdom so that God-fearers, disciples of Jesus, can live faithfully, fruitfully, skillfully in God's world. So yes, our parenting does influence the way our children become adults. There's no question. There's no question. We'll say more about that in a moment. But we also want to realize, because we have just enough theological understanding to put this together, our children don't automatically become disciples of Jesus Christ because of our upbringing. Our children do not automatically become disciples of Christ because we're good parents. You see, we want to honor our children's own person, their own agency. They grow up, they bear their own responsibility for responding to the claims of Christ on them. And we recognize that some children who reject the faith as they become adults do so consciously and intentionally rejecting purposefully, thoughtfully everything they know their parents trained or taught them to know and to do with respect to Jesus Christ. And to those of you who have adult children not walking with the Lord, I know you have shed tears asking yourselves, what did I do wrong? Maybe because you've looked at Proverbs 22.6 as an ironclad money-back guarantee, and you've drawn that conclusion. My parents are not walking with the Lord, therefore I must not have trained up the child in the way you should go. Maybe, uh, probably, uh, I know this to be true, you've identified and you have confessed sins that are now more apparent to you than they were in the middle of your parenting. You've identified them, you've confessed them. You've done that to the Lord, and some of you have done it to your children. 
But you still can't shake the shame or the guilt when someone asks you about your child, the one who was baptized here at Trinity Church, who was raised in a Christian home, went to a Christian school, and who once professed their faith in Jesus Christ. And when they show you the pictures of their child who's off doing great things, and you can't shake the shame, you still feel the pain and the guilt. You have taken to yourself all the guilt and the shame you deny in doing that. You are denying the humanity of your child. You're in particular, you're denying her responsibility to respond in repentance and faith to the claims of Christ. And yet it's there, it's lingering, it stays with you. If on the other hand, you're a parent whose child has grown, who's walking with the Lord, who's being faithful and fruitful, productive in the world and in culture and in the kingdom of Christ and present and active in the life of the church. If you imagine the reason your adult child is a Christian is solely or primarily even because of your awesome, faithful parenting, you are also depriving God of his glory. You are emptying Christ's sacrifice on your child's behalf of its power. And you're taking that glory to yourself. After all, your child's salvation depends on your performance. And you might, again, know better than to say that out loud, especially around these parts, because you know that's not good theology. And yet, that too rattles around in your hearts. For both of you, wherever you are in that uh, scale or spectrum, think about it this way. When your child, when your child stands before the Lord God, on that day when Jesus returns, she is not going to be able to hide behind the excuse so often effective in the courts of this land or human courts. She will not be able to hide behind the excuse her parents failed her. But nor will she stand clothed in the righteousness of parents who served her well. To those of you who are parents, everyone realizes your calling to raise your children is a challenging one. Whether you take Proverbs 22.6 as a promise of a blessing or as a warning not to indulge your children to continue on in their own way, which is prone to lead them to destruction, you still recognize, we recognize with you, the calling the Lord places on you, the undeniable connection between your parenting practices and the future conduct of your children, there is a connection. It's a proverb. If you are unconvinced, though, if you are unconvinced, there's not always a straight line between faithful parenting and faithful children. And that I mean to say, put it another way to not confuse you, if you think this is an ironclad, guaranteed promise that God always honors with faithful, obedient adult children, your faithful parenting, then you need to hear this. Consider the model in Scripture we have with the Lord God himself. The Lord our God fathers his people Israel. 
And here, the opening words of the book of Isaiah you heard just a few weeks ago from Pastor Andrew as he read this. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Next verse. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for Yahweh has spoken. What does Yahweh say? Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Here you have God, the perfect father, following and using the perfect parental style. Every great parental strategy. And not all his children remain faithful. So what does he do? Our father sends his son into the world to take on himself our sins. What sins? Sins of bad parenting. Sins you have come to recognize in yourselves maybe from many years before that you've confessed to the Lord and you've maybe even confessed to your children. He forgives those because Jesus takes those. Jesus comes into, into the world to bring light and life to parents who were less than perfect, who maybe said to their children yes when they should have said no. And God sent his son to save children who were raised by less than faithful parents. To save children whose parents came to faith in Jesus Christ long after those formative years of parenting. And Jesus came to save children whose parents walk with God, who train their children to say no to youthful passions and pleasures and instead to pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace along with all of those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Jesus comes to save those too. And parents, Jesus came to save children whether they respond in faith at a very early age before you've even had much of a chance to parent them well or long after you're gone. And to you children here today, let me say a word to you. I suspect, some of you teens especially, but you don't have to be teens to get this. I suspect many of you children think the only word your parents know is no. You test them. You explore your boundaries with them. You want permission to uh, at least give you the authority, the right to do something you want to do. And they say no, because they know it's not good for you and because they actually have the kind of wisdom you don't have yet, but they want you, by God's grace, to acquire. So you were going to ask them for things, and I say this from personal experience, by the way. You're going to ask them for things that even you know aren't right. But you take a chance. They might say, well, go ask your father. And your father might say, go ask your mother. And you put that together and you say, well, no one's saying no here. That happened in my home. 
But your parents might say no a lot. Listen to them. Sometimes they're saying no simply just because they're cranky or they're not in a happy mood because you've done something to... But a lot of times they're saying no because they recognize the very thing you're asking for is going to reinforce in you a pursuit of a path of folly. In a few moments, you're going to hear parents bringing their children to be baptized. They're going to be asked these questions. Do you promise to teach diligently to your boys the principles of our holy Christian faith revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, summarized in the Confession of Faith and Catechisms of this church? And then do you promise and endeavor by all the means God has appointed to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, encouraging them to appropriate for themselves the blessings and fulfill the obligations of the covenant? Parents are going to say that. Many of you children here, your parents said that or something like it. They have a commitment to God to lead you. And sometimes that means saying no. And once again, you're not going to be able to get to a point in your life where you're going to blame all your troubles on your bad parents. You will also need to lay hold of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. You will not be saved by your parents being awesome parents, but you will not be condemned because they were terrible parents. You will stand before the Lord, either clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Or, apart from that, in your own lack of righteousness, your own willful way of pursuing to the end a path of folly that leads to destruction. Children, I urge you, lay hold of Christ today. Parents, be encouraged. There's not a direct straight line from your faithful parenting to a good outcome in faithful children. A strong likelihood, a great influence. But your children stand, and so do you, in the righteousness of Christ. The one who died and who was raised from the dead for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for our parents, for faithful parents. Thank you even, Father, that we have been able to look past and through the weaknesses and failings of our parents to see not only their great desire for us to know you, but we've been able to see Jesus himself. Father, for those here who have had parents who've neglected or abused or abandoned, how we praise you that in spite of that, they've come to know you and are even able to call you Father. And then our God and Father, we pray for parents and grandparents who pour out their hearts and tears on behalf of children and grandchildren who have been taught and raised and instructed in your word and who have repudiated the gospel, rejected Christ. We understand our God there is still time, and yet we yearn and long for their return. Would you grant our God hope, perseverance and persistence, love and grace, and 
we ask restoration. Lord, we thank you for those parents who delight in their adult children, those who have been taught faithfully to follow Jesus and who have in their own time and in their own way appropriated for themselves all the blessings of the covenant and are fulfilling all the obligations. Namely, they trust and rest in Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, for all those who are raising little ones now, grant to them the strength and the encouragement to recognize they are the greatest influencers in their children's lives. Allow them to teach and instruct and to train in righteousness that their children might know Jesus from an early age. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen parents, giving them the ability, the power, and the love to say no. Lord, thank you for the ways you are at work in families and in lives. We're grateful this is only part of the full story because we recognize, too, that when this is not a promise, this empowers us to proclaim the gospel to children and to adults who have never been in a covenant line of family, who do not know the last person in their family who was ever a Christian, and therefore who were not trained in paths of righteousness. Lord, give us the courage and the love to say good words to them and direct them and point them to Jesus. Thank you for all this. We pray you'd encourage us in the remainder of our day. Allow us to absorb and to ponder this proverb as it was intended and always find ourselves drawn back to the feet of our Savior. We pray it in his name. All God's people say together.